And we are joined in the studio now by the Tánishta and leader of Fianna Fáil and Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, Micheál Martin, for, uh, as we continue our series of party leader interviews. Um, Tánishta, good afternoon and welcome to the programme. Good afternoon. Um, There is a report in the Sunday Independent today uh, saying that the government is planning to build six new accommodation centres to house around 3,600 asylum seekers. Can you confirm that that is what is being planned? I can't confirm the specifics, but what I can confirm is the direction of travel. We do need more capacity uh, and the minister will be bringing um, a revised white paper to cabinet uh, involving additional um, uh, accommodation, um, state-owned and our state-developed to add to the existing accommodation that we have already, uh, given the numbers that are arising um, and given the uh, continuing pressures on existing accommodation. So, yes, the minister is preparing plans and the minister will be coming to cabinet um, to uh, make recommendations and proposals in respect of new centres that would be state developed. Have the locations for those centres been identified and will people be told? People will be told, but the locations as of now haven't yet been identified. uh, uh, This has to be obviously brought to cabinet, brought to the um, subcommittee on uh, on migration more generally um, for discussion, along with other measures uh, in relation to the broad migration crisis. Because, I mean, fundamentally, uh, we are under a lot of pressure because of global uh, uh, situation in terms of you go anywhere in the world, migration is a big issue now. Uh, in the United Kingdom, it's been tearing politics apart. Uh, just back from Germany, similar issue there and right across Europe. So we are no different in terms of the fact that the world is not in a good place. There's a lot of war, a lot of conflict, a lot of people desperately leaving very bad uh, situations very bad where their families have no quality quality of life where there's no future but that is the backdrop which we do need to um, say to people that that, that is the fundamental um, if you like underlying issue in terms of the very significant global migration that is no wonder okay. across so, the world so we, we need that more is ca- manifesting here we manifesting need, itself here we, we need more capacity <clears throat> when will the, the the cabinet make a decision on that and when will those uh, new centers be built it will be within the next number of weeks um, and obviously then it depends in terms of whether there's acquisition or whether there's new bills uh, and it will depend on the specifics. We will need both state and private capacity into the future. Uh, of that, there is no doubt. I mean, last year we had a f- uh, about 13,000 13, uh, international um, uh, applications for asylum. Um, that's about a f- um, uh, nearly a five-fold increase on what we were experiencing in 2019. Um, and that's over and above the over 100,000 Ukrainians who had to flee war, uh, Putin's war on, on, on Ukraine. So that, cre- that is creating the pressures uh, and that continues uh, to, to be the situation. Yes. Uh, and and um, the, the independent TD, Michael McNamara, uh, in I think the Sunday Independent today, um, uh, he he's raised a concern that the government doesn't seem to have oversight over the number of people that are actually staying in the accommodation that we already have and that perhaps there are some people that might have left those centres and nobody seems to know about it. Is, is that being examined? That's not accurate. Uh, and I spoke to the Minister Roderick O'Gorman this morning on, on that point. There is no spare capacity. Uh, within the existing um, accommodation um, capacity for for, for international um, asylum seekers, uh, no spare capacity, um, and of course, if you know any spare capacity that arises, will be used uh, for people who are coming in who currently can't get accommodation. Uh, now that said, the the, the 
department liaises very closely with the homeless services and they're confident that those who are arriving in who are not being provided with accommodation are finding uh, places to stay and where people are, uh, are identified as being in a homeless situation the Minister's Department moves very quickly to try and take them out of that situation Dep so Dep there's no spare capacity okay. I want to make that point and the Minister's adamant about that Okay, Deputy McNamara also uh, suggested that Ireland has what he described as a soft touch system and he said uh, people are arriving into the country even if they don't have travel documents and we're failing to enforce our own immigration rules I don't agree. I mean, we have immigration rules. We are enforcing them. There is a significant degree of monitoring goes on at airports. Um, some come over the border, for for, for but, example. Um, so, uh, but, and again, but th I, thousands of people no. do arrive without uh, the appropriate travel documents. Um, um, are they legally allowed to do that? No, again, I would would would, would question what, what Deputy McNamara is saying in terms of, first of all, uh, as I said, the, the migration trail is, is global. People are moving mm. all over the world. Uh, um, and and, and by, by the way, to far greater degree than in Ireland, uh, countries in Europe or countries in South America or countries, um, uh, you know, across, take Lebanon and take Jordan, you're in the millions uh, because of the conflict and the wars in those in, in those areas and people wanting to get to America okay. and so on like that. So my point is, that's, no, we do need a bit of context to yes. this perspective. And, and you provided that. But, but, but if somebody but, arrives in yeah. Dublin Airport, for example, having yeah. got off a plane... But somebody, they're entitled to, people are entitled, documents or no documents, to seek asylum in a country. Yes, but are, they entitled, are they entitled to, to arrive into the country without documents? But there should be proper checks before they come on and get on planes and we have stepped up uh, in terms of our presence uh, at airports across Europe and elsewhere to try and identify people who would uh, endeavour to get into the country illegally. So we have a system in place um, but uh, because of trafficking we just saw what happened at Rosslea recently people have been trafficked into the country, been trafficked into Europe um, and, and, th and that is a multi-million lucrative trade now, the, the whole uh, people trafficking um, mm. trade which is, y in itself is reprehensible and puts human beings in incarceration okay. in many locations across uh, the world for onward then uh, if they pay enough money to try and get to a particular location you, with false documents you, and so on like that. You said yourself that you're under pressure, the system is under pressure. I mean, do you, do you accept though that it looks like in some cases that government policy on this issue is being made up on the spot? I mean, when you take, for example, the situation in Ross Cray, where the response to protests there was to fund another hotel to replace the one which was closed off because it's being used to accommodate asylum seekers. And doesn't that seem like an extraordinary knee-jerk response to a problem? But actually, it's not that knee-jerk if you look at the background to it. And I spoke to Councillor Michael Smith, Deputy Jackie Cahill, about this, and Councillor Michael Smith is from Ross Cray. Uh, they, they achieved the status um, of, of, of a town-first policy. Uh, there's a whole document published last November identifying the need to refurbish and renovate the core urban centre of Ross Cray. There was a hotel there that's closed 11 years now. Um, and the, I think it's a very good idea. That is part of that refurbishment. Michael Smith went to the, the county manager, uh, went to other interests in the area, got, got sanctioned to go to the minister and say, look, we have a proposal here to revitalise uh, a building that is essentially vacant for 11 years for the purposes of a community hotel. That's a good thing in my view. That's, okay, people, but, that's but, people thinking constructively to say, OK, we do accept that people have, in, in Rascray and elsewhere have legitimate concerns about the pressure that additional uh, migration will place on services uh, and also then to see if we can um, enhance existing services 
use what, what's happening here to try and re- re- renovate and give purpose and function to buildings that haven't been used but for does, years. Doesn't I, it I send out the message though to communities that if they protest, if they react against the accommodation of asylum seekers, the government will have to give them something, give them what they well, want. Well, since, since I was, when I was Taoiseach, um, we initiated a community recognition fund of up to 50 million and Minister Heather Humphreys and others have been allocating that to local authorities um, across the country. Uh, and hundreds of, about 220 projects have already been completed. About 850 applied for funding under the Community Recognition Fund. And we anticipate that all of those um, projects will be completed by the end of this year. And that was specifically to say to communities that if you have additional people coming into your area because of either the Ukrainian war or because of the necessity under our legal obligations to house those seeking applic- uh, asylum applications, then yes, we do believe you need additional funding to um, enhance community facilities, community services. And, and, the and I think that, and, that's a fair, I think that's fair, actually, and, and the, uh, I think to respond the, the, in that manner. The, you know? the, the Taoiseach said there would be even more money now provided above and beyond that fund that you're talking about for the, the 10 communities most affected by um, the, the accommodation situation yeah. for, for asylum seekers. Where are you going to get the extra guardie or the extra GPs that those communities are looking for? Well, again, we, we are increasing the number of guardies. We are we, Our training places have increased dramatically in terms of medicine and in terms of health services. And there's more huge generally. demand, we'll say, but, for guardie in Dublin, for example. Could I, could I also give the other side of the story? I mean, I was interested in listening to a lot of the narrative around Rosquay. Many people, a person came on this station from Rosquay saying how they had worked very hard in the community and were welcoming people into the community and had been welcoming people in for quite some time. To be fair to the people of Rosquay, they have done that. And that's mirrored across the country as well. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people have responded positively. Clearly, the pressures are significant. We acknowledge that. But it's not a one-sided story here. Uh, You know, Ireland has welcomed over 100,000 Ukrainians into this country. Uh, And likewise, in terms of asylum-seeking, people understand the humanity of what's going on. But legitimately, people uh, are entitled to protest. People are entitled to raise concerns. And we're going to do everything we possibly can to respond to them. But these are not normal times in respect of what's going on in the world. This is the first major war on the continent of Europe with millions, millions of people displaced as a consequence. And that has created its own uh, unprecedented pressures in Ireland. We've never been in a situation like this before. Uh, And therefore that does create strain and that creates pressure. We've had more than a dozen fires at locations that were earmarked for the accommodation of asylum seekers or which were rumoured to be. Uh, We've had no arrests. I mean, do you have confidence in the guards and their ability to deal with these type of crimes? I do have confidence in the guardie. But I think we all know that in matters of this kind of, when you pursue criminality uh, and crime, you have to um, investigate thoroughly, properly, uh, not with the prospect of having to do it speedily in order to get a result. I think that would be the the worst possible scenario. Uh, I think what has to happen here that detailed investigations have to take place. People do have to be brought to justice, but cases have to be stood up, obviously. Uh, and uh, the Gardaí are working uh, on this because this is a very fundamental mm-hmm. undermining, I think, of our uh, democratic order. Uh, such arson and such destruction uh, of buildings across it, the country it, it, and cannot in, be uh, in any way countenanced. It, and that's why the Gardaí uh, are going all out to endeavour to find out who, who did these crimes and to bring them to okay. justice. And in, in the case of the, the hotel in Ross Cahill, which was burned down, two of your party councillors made comments about the government's asylum policy, uh, which I think you described as unacceptable. Um, those were councillors Noel Thomas and councillor Seamus Walsh. 
Has, has disciplinary action been taken by your party against them? That process is underway. Um, and like any, uh, particularly in the world we live in today, with, with, with strong um, litigation and so on, people are entitled to come forward, make their case. And there's a, there's a very set procedure and processes involving um, a national executive. But there, there is disciplinary so, action underway, underway against yeah. both of those yeah. people. There's a process underway. Okay. In to uh, do you intend to take any action against your councillors in Mayo who voted in favour of a motion calling on the staff at the local authority there to cease cooperation with the Department of Integration? We're not, we're not, I think the, the fundamental difference here is uh, the comments made um, from my perspective in Galway were ones to suggest that uh, those, you know, that the government was responsible for the arson or the fact that people felt they need to go and burn a, a beautiful building. Um, and that's not acceptable. Um, and that there should be full cooperation at all times with, with Angarda Shikana in respect of the pursuit of any uh, okay. case. Uh, in terms of councillors exercising, you know, what, whether you agree or disagree, uh, for whatever reasons, their voting rights that's not a, a matter for disciplinary. Okay, but it begs um, the question though, I mean, is Fianna Fáil riding two horses here? One in government where you're trying to accommodate asylum seekers, then one at local level as we approach the local elections where people are trying to stop that from happening? Well, first of all, I just instanced Councillor Michael Smith for you uh, and the very, uh, I think, constructive role that he has played in Ross Gray mm. in terms of, first of all, um, not Fair enough, but I'm talking about no, the councillors in yeah, Mayo here. You now. don't want to talk about the councillor who's doing no, something okay. positive. I, I know, I think, that in other words, uh, Justin, you know, there will be different personalities across the country. We have hundreds of councillors. Uh, so I, I think to pick out two councillors and say that's the Fianna Fáil way is wrong, is what I'm trying but, to say. But to are, you. Are there you are many councillors up and down the country uh, who understand the pressures, the concerns of people, but who've also been involved in helping um, refugees settle into the country and helping those who are seeking asylum also. Is there no I mean, obligation on your councillors though, your, the Fianna Fáil councillors to adhere to government policy which you're implementing at yeah, we, we, I will, we, we will follow through on, 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 on the Mayo County Council vote because I don't think that's sustainable in the long term. Councils have to work with state authorities. But I was across it seems to me, I haven't gone into the detail of who voted what way but the entire, Unanimous. But Unanimous. Yeah, that's my point. All the parties, independents for whatever reason, maybe it's lack of communication they feel but I think it's something that can be ordered out and resolved. Uh, it's not a, a tenable situation, in my view, in the long term, that any local authority uh, would uh, have as a policy non-cooperation with state agencies. Some of the buildings which were which were burned down uh, were the subject of, of misinformation which was spread online. Does the government intend to take any action to prevent the spread of false information online? Yeah, well, well again, um, we we have the... Commerside Naman or the, the, the media commissioner, uh, which will have its own powers and resources uh, to deal with misinformation. Uh, electorally, we have the Electoral Commission and we've passed laws in respect of at least highlighting and dealing with misinformation in the context of election campaigns. Um, and um, the uh, and, and there's a broader issue then of how you regulate or how you mediate between mm. and but, dif differentiate between uh, you know, information generally and the politics and debate and so on like but, that. But we have a situation um, here where property and potentially lives are being put at risk because of misinformation and disinformation. So, for example, if if in the future somebody puts up a post to say that a particular building is going to be used to house asylum seekers or international protection applicants, and that is not the case... What can you do or what are you going to do about that? Well, you're going to have to try and counteract that very strongly from a communications perspective. Um, to be honest with you, in terms of a legal response, I think that would be very, just in instinctively, I would 
reckon that would be legally very difficult territory and terrain to legislate for. Um, but but it does, co- I accept the point you're making in terms of the role of the Media Commission needs to engage with the platforms in terms of taking down misleading and inaccurate information as quickly as possible. Now, that interaction has already started. Uh, It happened in the context of the Dublin riots, for example, Um, and um, some good response from quite a number of the platforms to the Media Commission in respect of that. But that that will, in many ways, I think, fall for the Media Commission to to engage with media platforms or social media platforms and also to bring recommendations to government in respect of any additional legislative responses that might be required. When does the government intend to make a decision on the long-term funding of RTE or of public service media? Um, This year. uh, I think the licence fee will be here uh, for some time yet, Justin, because an alternative uh, will take time. um, And the, the Media Commission made its, um, the forum and the media commission made its recommendations uh, in terms of either a charge to replace the licence fee um, or, sorry, that's the government's or the idea of exchequer funding. Mm. Uh, I have a problem with total exchequer funding for media generally because I think it, 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 there's no demarcation line then between government and media in terms of the independence of the media and in a free society and in a democratic society, I have real reservations about um, media generally being funded by government in its entirety. And that's not just RT because, as you know, whatever new funding arrangement emerges has to fund more than RTE. It has to fund public service content in other stations or also in, in the print media because I do think it's important that we do give a secure funding base to RTE and to the okay. media in general but to combat um, the misinformation that you've just spoken about, disinformation, to preserve democracy. But if the licence fee isn't adequate, what else? Well, I think if the, if the licence fee, I have to stress this, is right now for the remainder of this year uh, and, and, and perhaps even next year before we get new arrangements in place, key and essential. We have to reaffirm people's need to pay their licence fee to support public service broadcasting and public service media. Um, the, the ideal alternative, and this has been agreed for, by various Oireachtas committees even before I came into government and I supported it, would might be, be, be a universal charge uh, to support media into the future. Um, and that would then allow you to have that independence then uh, between media and government. Because if you don't, if you have just total exchequer funding, um, well then a given government in the future uh, could decide to uh, reduce funding, uh, would, would have all the pressures for health, social protection and so on like that. And you have this tug of war then between media and government uh, and that can lead to all sorts of consequences. Do you think revenue commissioners should collect the licence fee? I believe so, yes. Yeah. You do? Yeah, that's okay. my view. Yeah. And you, you differ uh, from your, your colleagues in government in, in taking that view? Well, there, there are different perspectives around the cabinet table. I appreciate that. But not just the cabinet table around the Oireachtas, although, in, you know, we, we, we committed to this in opposition. Um, but I will, I'm a member of government, so my position is but one uh, position in that. Uh, we will talk to the other parties okay. as well and discuss it. A final point on this. There is a story today in the, in the Business Post which says that a levy on broadband bills uh, is one of the options being considered by the government that perhaps a 10 euro, 15 euro charge on top of your broadband to pay for public service media. Is that something which you, you, you favour? Uh, that hasn't come to the table yet at all and we'd have to give that very serious consideration in terms of um, there are other issues there. I mean, we spent quite some time opposing a digital 
digital tax from from the European Union. So I think we need consistency on that front. Um, and uh, the implications of that haven't been presented to government uh, in, in, in a comprehensive okay. policy uh, format. I want to ask you about housing. Do you accept that with the amount of inward migration we have with our population growth, um, that the government's housing targets will have to be revised upwards? The, they are being revised and the Economic and Social Research Institute are, have a review underway that has to be peer-reviewed, a proper research-based informed approach because there's no point in saying just putting targets, plucking them out of the air and saying that's the new target. I mean, there, there are a whole lot of factors and variables going into making forecasts on housing. But the key point is this, there is strong momentum in the housing uh, supply situation you know, compared to where we were prior to COVID and during COVID. COVID did hit us in terms of our capacity to ramp things up. But last year, we exceeded the target. This year, in 2023, we will exceed the target. We'll have the figures now next week. I think they'll go over the, the, the 29,000. Okay, Last you, year we had 30,000, which you, is 45% above the others. Now, we do need to increase. Next, this year, 2024, I'd hope we get closer to 34,000. Um, and we do need to ramp it up. The, the targets are not a ceiling on house building, um, but they're a, a reasonable estimate as to what's possible year to year um, uh, under the housing for all you, plan. You're not making your targets on, on the building of social homes. Um, and, and even up to last year, I think the third quarter of last year, uh, you, you have a, a target to build 9,100 social homes in 2023. The latest available figures up to October were that you had completed 2,642 of those. That's not, not, you see, again, you have to wait till the end your result because yeah. the, the last year in 2022... So are you going the, to meet your just, targets on yeah, social homes? The, 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 bulk, the bulk of ho social housing came in um, in the last quarter of 2022, the same would happen in 2020. We, we'll await the figures. But basically, we will have delivered, we've delivered about 30,000 social homes since we came into government. Uh, new bills, acquisitions, uh, some leasing and so forth. The um, new t tenant in situ scheme is about 2,500 homes have been purchased to keep people in their homes. Um, so we, we, this has been a very significant achievement in the last two years on social housing compared to previous figures in the previous years. That has to be acknowledged. Do we want to do more? Yes, and we need to do more on the social okay. housing front and on the affordable housing front. But also on the first time buyer, there has been very significant improvements in terms of the number of mortgages being drawn down, uh, the help to buy scheme, the first home scheme. I mean, I think that this government has a much stronger um, first-time buyer policies uh, than Sinn Féin or any other party in the Doyle. And if many of Sinn Féin's proposals came to pass, first-time buyers would lose out heavily uh, because they'd abolish the help right, to buy, they'd talk, abolish we'll first home, about, and they would abolish the, the vacant when, when and derelict housing grant schemes right. as well. All right. Um, I want to ask you about hospitality and the restaurant sector in particular because we've seen a wave of restaurant closures over the past uh, few months, 280 I think in the last six months um, and growing, um, including a number which are concentrated in your own uh, native city of Cork. Um, is there a case to revisit the VAT rate, uh, which was increased at the last budget? Again, that, uh, uh, that was brought in at the time of COVID uh, and it was brought in previously um, uh, after the, uh, the, the economic crash and so on to try and generate activity in, in, in hospitality. Uh, hospitality actually overall uh, significantly grew in 2023. I think the situation in relation to the VAT will not change um, this year. Uh, we've, we've just had a budget uh, in October. Uh, if you were to 
change the VAT rate again uh, back down. You're looking at about 750 million. And are you closed uh, no other, off to looking at no it other, again in October? No of other next political year? party actually proposed that, in, uh, to my knowledge, in, in, in the last budget discussions. Uh, I think we are wanting to look looking at, however, at the tax situation in terms of uh, what transpired in relation to COVID and and um, the warehousing, the warehousing of, tax. of tax. Yes, that we uh, we will look at that, and I think uh, in the next week or so, the Minister for Finance will have proposals to bring the uh, absolute flexibility to that, extending perhaps the term by which people would have to be repaid. It will be treated separately from people's current tax obligations uh, and also um, in, in, in terms of the interest rate that applies um, to that warehousing tax yeah. debt. Uh, so I think we people because we want to keep viable business going. Uh, and if that warehousing tax issue is an issue, then we are determined to ch to improve that, uh, to give people flexibility in the repayment of that and uh, and to allow them room to breathe. Okay. Just a few other uh, I think we also issues. need to look at, you know, put any additional costs that are coming on stream uh, for SMEs and for business generally. We need to look at that uh, over the coming while to see can we... Um, either, you know, can we st stagger them in terms of uh, phasing them in, in terms of the, the impact they're having on, on, on and potentially could have on retail or small businesses in general. Um, there, there are growing calls from opposition parties and even from your own MEP, Barry Andrews, for Ireland to support South Africa's case against uh, Israel, accusing Israel of genocide at the International Court of Justice. Wouldn't doing that, adding Ireland's support to that case, send a strong signal from Ireland of opposition to what is happening in Gaza? And you heard those figures today, 25,000 people uh, who have been killed by Israel in Gaza now, according to the Hamas-run <laughs> health ministry. Israel has to be held to account in terms of what it's doing. And I condemn the continued bombardment um, of Gaza. It's, it is shocking. It's horrifying. It's not justified in any shape or form. Uh, it's already been investigated by the International Criminal Court in respect of war crimes, which can include genocide. So, so it's already under investigation by Karim. That's just one point I would Why make. Why don't we support well, it? Well, well, we haven't said we haven't supported it. Just to explain to people on the Genocidal Convention, which is a separate uh, statute, uh, South Africa have taken a preliminary case to the court. Uh, Israel have responded. No one has actually joined that case yet nor can anyone join it right now, not even Palestine, because the court is going to make provisional uh, judgment on that to respond to what South Africa sought, which is exactly what we have sought. Same thing, an immediate cessation of hostilities and war, uh, unimpeded access of humanitarian aid into Gaza. We've all called for that. So, so we await, and then we have full confidence in the court. And just as we did with Ukraine, because Russia accused Ukraine of genocide, Ukraine responded, and it took us, we, we examined it legally, and it took us about 12 weeks, and we joined Ukraine's defense of the Russians' assertions uh, within the, 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 the convention. And we will give this very serious consideration, of course, and, it, it will be, and we want to, but we have to then see what South Africa, because South Africa will have to put in a substantive case after the preliminary court hearing, um, and then we hopefully they'll share that with us okay. and others. And then we'll give, obviously, we'll consider either joining that, but then in joining it, then you have to understand why, because this, these are legal conventions. It'll take years to resolve. Meanwhile, we have to keep our focus on getting 
um, a ceasefire. Um, and I've been in touch with many of my colleagues. I'll be flying out to Brussels after this interview, hopefully, uh, to meet with colleagues this evening to see what we can do more at European level to get stronger pressure on Israel to stop and okay. uh, to stop the war. Uh, and by the way, Ireland has already um, submitted legal, made legal submissions to the ICC um, in respect of uh, the occupation in the West Bank. Uh, we've made two, yes. two fourteen, and last year, and we've also allocated three million additional funding okay. to the court uh, to enable it to have the resources to hold Israel accountable and Hamas accountable right. um, for for war crimes that have been committed. Before before I let you go, uh, Tanish, to, are you ready for a general election this year if the Taoiseach decides to call one? I am, um, um, but, but <laughs> as one as, as one could be, uh, I would prefer we go the full distance, um, as I said. Um, but uh, to answer your question specifically, I am. We're very focused. Would now. you be shocked if he mounted uh, a surprise? Uh, if he um, called a surprise election? Well, one could never be shocked. Uh, in, uh, I've been around in many political situations where elections were sprung All on right. me and on others. But I, I actually believe stability matters. I and and you've, no, you've no, said that before. And I, continuity it, matters yeah. uh, because the public, I believe, if an election happens, you form a government, you deliver and you try and do it over four and a half to five All years. Right. Uh, otherwise, you get sort of very short-termism in your politics, which is not good for policy uh, make decisions uh, and, and, and doing the right thing for the future. D- does the position of President of the European Council, which is coming up, Charles Michel stepping down, does it interest you? Does it interest? That's a very interesting position uh, for anybody. But again, um, it does interest uh, you. Then. Say, no, I mean in terms of look, that doesn't arise in in in, in my case at all. Uh, it, but I mean, it, you asked the question generally, but obviously you're only applying it to me. But I mean, yes. it, it's, are, are you are uh, you ruling yourself out for for? for well, I'm going forward for the next general election, yes. so I'll be uh, running in the next general election. Yeah, and, yeah. and does that mean then you you would not want to be considered? for the President of the European Council should somebody come knocking on your door? Well, no one has come knocking on my doors. Mm. It is a very prestigious position, but I won't be going forward for that. I'm leading the party into the next general election. All right. And and, um, uh, final question. I mean, you've you've weathered threats to your own leadership within your own party in recent years. You've been around a long time, I think. Is it 34 years now um, in a TD? Um, Do you have an exit strategy? <laughs> well, if I'm leading into the next election, um, I, I think. Look, uh, in, in the modern era, um, thanks, thanks be to God, my health isn't good, is, is, is good, uh, and I'm in a robust enough condition, uh, and so I, I still have an appetite for politics, uh, for decision making, for the people, really, to try and see can we improve situations. I still get angry and frustrated at things that are not being done um, and it's very much part of my DNA to, to, to commit to, to, to public service and to be so involved in, in no political life. No end date in sight. So I don't have an end date in sight. Yes, All right. No. Michal Martin, Tanishden, leader of Fianna Fáil, thank you for coming to talk to us today. We're back with more after this. Thank you.